It's 3 a.m. The ambulance arrives at the emergency room with a trauma victim. What if there is no surgeon to answer the phone? You're listening to Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. George Sheldon. Dr. Sheldon is a professor of surgery at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and chaired the Department of Surgery from 1984 until 2001. He has been president of all the major surgical organizations, including president of the American College of Surgeons, president of the American Surgical Association, and the American Board of Surgery. Dr. Sheldon currently holds the position of editor-in-chief of EFACS, E-F-A-C-S the web portal of the American College of Surgeons, and is director of the Health Policy Institute of the American College of Surgeons. Today we are discussing where have all the general surgeons gone and why. Welcome, Dr. Sheldon, and thanks so much for taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. My pleasure. In 1970s, the country was worried about a physician surplus that would lead to overutilization of services and continue the upward spiral of the cost of medical care. Now major medical organizations are predicting a physician's shortage in the coming years. How did we get it wrong? Well, the study was wrongly configured. Some people, including me, at the time this came out, about 1981, didn't believe that it was going to come out that way. That's not to say that we have had great predictive power. It's just that the way the study was configured with, and I won't get into the methodology, it was unlikely to come out with the conclusion of 145,000 too many doctors by the year 2000, which is what they came out with. Now, aside from the study being methodologically flawed, there's a lot of things in a crystal ball that one just can't see. For example, many of the studies done in that period, including one done by surgery a few years before, predicted that we would be dealing with a U.S. population of 250 million by the year 2000. As you know, it's a little over 300 million. Now, 50 million people in a country our size may not seem like too many, but that's about 10 times the size of Scotland. It's like putting Norway into the United States about every three months. It's a little bit bigger than Canada. And so that's a lot of people. That coupled with some other demographics that are common to the Western world, which is the rapid growth of an aging population. Then you add to that the fact of our large immigrant pool that have come in, some 50 million people in the past few years, and the fact that each of the last decades, the population growth in the United States has been 25 million people each decade. That puts us at just a plain arithmetic, has diluted out the health care resources, not just for surgery, but for the whole country. The Health Policy Center in Albany, New York, predicted a couple of years ago that we, right now, were 4.3 million health workers short. That's not just physicians, that's nurses, pharmacists, hospital coders, administrators, up and down the line. The voluntary or the freeze and the reasons that went into it resulted in the population growth being much faster than the physician production. Now, there was a period of time in the early 1990s when doctor growth was a little faster in terms of physician-to-population ratios. It was a little faster than the population growth, but that was only for a few years. Now it is way outstripped it. And it takes so long to produce any of the health workers, really, but especially physicians, that you don't catch up. And we will never catch up, actually, with the ratios that we had in the 1970s. 
Now, you say we won't catch up. Does that mean we're going to solve this problem like we do everything else in this country? We're just going to import it? That's what we have been doing. We have almost 30% of our physicians coming from outside the United States right now. It's a number that has been growing slowly. Only 64% of the doctors in the United States are graduates of U.S. medical schools right now. How do you feel about that? I have two feelings about it. One is I think as an American proud of our country, I think we ought to be self-sufficient in health care in the production of workers. Certainly in health workers, we import five to 7,000 people into our graduate medical education programs every year. The majority of them are from India. The second biggest group is from the offshore Caribbean schools. And the third group is from the Philippines now. Two years ago, I believe it was, the World Health Organization declared the decade of health worker shortage, and uh, they were talking mostly about the undeveloped countries. For example, I believe some of them in sub-Saharan Africa, one of the countries there uh, trained about 1,200 doctors over a period of time. 500 of them are practicing in the United States today. And the real issues of international distributive justice are also part of it. The underdeveloped countries need health workers for reasons of all their health problems, and the health workers are wanted and needed in Western countries for mostly advanced specialty care is what it comes down to. The result is that we have an international competition for health workers, and in that why obviously a country like the United States and the United Kingdom will fare better than a country that's undeveloped where uh, facilities aren't very good and, in fact, where safety is often a problem. I'd like to welcome those who've just joined us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and my guest today is Dr. George Sheldon, professor of surgery at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and director of health policy of the American College of Surgeons. Today, we're discussing the looming disappearance of the general surgeon. You've been involved in every phase of medicine from a surgical standpoint at basically for many years now. What are the reasons, what's changed in American medicine that people are not choosing general surgery? And what would you do about it if you were still chair of the department? Well, people are still choosing general surgery. There's only four specialties where there's more applicants than there are positions available. But I've heard some number like 80% or something of entering general surgical residents end up subspecializing in another field? Well, they subspecialize after they finish general surgery. It's actually 79%, so you're right on the nose. That gets into a definitional dialogue, which gets down to parsing words like we sometimes hear congressmen do. You know, one thing, there's so-called nine primary or principal components of general surgeries in which people are examined. Now, one of these, of course, is surgery of the breast. Well, if someone does a fellowship in breast surgery and focuses their practice on that, are they no longer a general surgeon? You can debate this. Certainly, as people evolve through their career, their scope of practice declines. That's always happened when you're talking about the things that they're taught to do, at least to some degree, in, in residency. We, we actually did a study on that in the early 1990s, which showed just what you'd expect, that two years after residency, when people applied for membership in the American College of Surgeons, their scope of practice was not the nine components and stuff that they were supposedly taught in residency, but they had already focused for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's the practice they went into, sometimes the unique referral of an area. Uh, many times it was areas of interest. 
the thing that's changed, and I know in my own case, I used to do a big spectrum of things from vascular surgery to a little bit of chest surgery. And as career went on, there were people around me, that many of whom I had hired as a chairman here, that could do these better than I could. And I quit doing those, and my practice narrowed down. A variant of that was always the case over the years. Then there's advances. Laparoscopic surgery came in in a big way seven or eight years ago, and not everybody put that into a technology of their practice. So there's a lot of reasons for it. The thing that's a little bit different now is the points you were outlining, and that's 80% going into a specialty area of that kind of natural evolution toward a practice spectrum diminution that always occurred over time is now accelerated a little bit by the fact that 80% of people are taking some skills extra training after they finish their general surgery residency. But aren't you concerned about the rural areas and even underserved populations? My opening statement about the emergency room, and you can't get a general surgeon to come in and treat that trauma patient. Well, you can't get a lot of other specialties either. That's a study, of course, the Institute of Medicine two years ago. But that's a very special problem that not every general surgeon tries to keep trauma within the spectrum of their activities. And that's being addressed a bit by the acute care surgery evolution that's occurring right now, but it's a little bigger problem than that. Some of it is that emergency room physicians who do really a wonderful job of kind of first encounter and sometimes beyond that, but if they have, most say, a hand injury and they call the orthopedic surgeon on call, he'll often say, I'm a shoulder person. We have an evolving issue of such specialized skills, which is not a bad thing in itself, but to have it available minute to minute to every hospital emergency room in the country is very, very hard to do, and it's a question of how realistic it is to try to do it. Now, general surgery is usually the one that runs a multi-system trauma, and that's an issue of that dimension too, but it goes well beyond just the general surgeon, the ER issue. I'm getting the feeling that you're not quite panicked about this looming physician-surgeon, that the looming physician shortages, that sort of the gaps will be filled by these people that are going into the different specialties. I'm very concerned about it. We have 26% fewer general surgeons than we did in 1998. So what would you say to Senator Obama and Senator McCain that has to be done now to address the predicted shortages? I think they both got it all wrong. Uh, to begin with. uh, Tell us what they need to do. (laughs) Well, what they need to do is recognize that the largest health problem in the country looming in front of us is a shortage of health professionals. These wonderful plans that keep putting forward, especially by Obama, is uh, projected by the Wharton School to cost exactly twice of what he is estimating. And McCain's plan is also not a very complete one. What they need to do is to begin to bring up the issue of assisting in expansion of healthcare professions, and this needs some federal involvement that we haven't had for a few years now. One thing that I am recommending and have been part of a group to recommend is that I think instead of these guys who know very little about what they're talking about and are not getting very good advice from their advisors, what we ought to do is get them to commit to a White House conference on healthcare, the last one was, I think, in 1976, sort this out in a way that doesn't get into the wrangling that it has now uh, come down to. And specifically, they've configured it to where the benchmark setting fees is Medicare and 
Every year, there is a, by the Balanced Budget Act of 1996, there is a plan to diminish reimbursement at a time when everything else is going up. And it puts doctors in the unenviable position of working within a zero-sum budget. Primary care people, for example, this year proposed that there would be no increase in cost of physician services, but that they, as primary care people, would get paid more. Well, where's that going to come from? It's going to come from other people providing care. Well, I'd like to end on that note and thank Dr. Sheldon, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing the impending disappearance of the general surgeon. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157 the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code radio and receive six months of free streaming audio. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. And oh, would the last physician in America please turn off the lights? This is Shannon Brownlee with the New America Foundation in Washington, D.C. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.